It's Alum Group's Andrea Lay, Packview's Melissa Burdick, special guest Jackie Donowski from Flywheel, and I'm PVSB, also from Flywheel. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 13th, and it's time for the Fresh Four. Four curated news stories from the past week. We find them polyhistorically intriguing. We hope you do too. They're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence and news. Retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Jackie, kick us off, would you? Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect to bring closed-loop attribution to streaming advertisers. Well, hello there, Fresh Boy listeners. Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect have solidified an agreement to bring the retailer's industry-leading audience solutions and measurement to Disney's addressable streaming inventory. The collaboration will enable enhanced audience targeting and outcome-based measurements for brand campaigns across Disney's streaming portfolio, including Hulu and Disney+. Connecting Walmart's customer insights with Disney's proprietary audience graph will help advertisers reach their desired audiences and measure the impact of their campaigns through closed-loop attribution. Thanks, Jackie. Andrea, over to you. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. NBC Universal and Instacart link up to bring retail media opportunities to TV. NBC Universal and Instacart are expanding their existing partnership to include a new retail media workstream that will enable Instacart's CPG advertisers to connect with consumers via NBC Universal's streaming and linear television content. In late 2023, the companies teamed up to include access to NBC Universal's streaming platform Peacock as part of the Instacart Plus membership package. Now, with this new first-party data collaboration, advertisers will be able to reach consumers through NBC Universal's content and measure the impact of their campaigns by leveraging ad exposure and purchase data from Instacart. Thank you, Andrea. Melissa, what do you have for us? Amazon has announced a new country that they're opening up. Amazon has announced that it will launch a new dedicated website for Ireland in 2025. Currently, most Irish customers use Amazon sites based in the UK or other European countries. The company said the Irish site will mean that users will be able to avoid additional customs charges and currency conversion fees, and it will also lead to faster delivery and returns for many items. All right, over to you, Peter. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Hi folks, and welcome back to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast. I'm Sri, of course, one of your aforementioned CPG Guys my co-host would normally be Peter Bond, also the VP of Partner Strategy and Development at Fetch Rewards, a mobile loyalty platform. But he's unable to join me today. So in his place is one of our Fresh Four co-hosts. You can find her on Sundays. She's also the president of Packview, now part of the Assembly family, the leading e-commerce SaaS platform that empowers agencies, brands, and sellers to optimize the advertising. You will see her in many industry webinars and even on my favorite, Bloomberg TV during earnings releases, one was which just yesterday, Melissa, the day before this recording. Hey, Melissa, welcome to the show. I, it's been a very busy week, but I am doing awesome. Glad it's Friday. You got a lot going on with Backview and Assembly and the merger and hope. 
you know, for those of you that listen to our show frequently, follow us on LinkedIn. Thank you for that. Melissa was on with the uh, founder of Assembly uh, back in late October, speaking to the uh, companies coming together. So if you want to know more, you can always get in touch with Melissa. Or you can simply go back to LinkedIn, scroll back to late October, and find the actual broadcast. But before we get to our guests, I want to remind all of our audience that our content can be found easily. Just go to cpgguys.com. And if you're not following us on LinkedIn, simply go to linkedin.com, go to the search bar up top left, type CPG Guys in the search box, and you'll see a blue plus button. That's how you can follow us. And that way you can see all of the content we produce. There is no charge to do this. We don't charge for a subscription. And most importantly, thank you for this large growing audience and family and shaping who comes on the show, what topics we discuss on the show. Needless to say, as 2021 draws to a close, the CPG industry and the retail community is going through historic, unprecedented times. In my own career in CPG, 25 years, I've never seen headwinds and tailwinds in the industry like we are now. So you can be part of that transformation. Simply click the plus button, join, join the conversation, with the CPG guys. And with that, today we're back at it with data and analytics, which typically is Peter's domain and home turf. Data is one of the most valuable commodities in CPG, but it becomes even more important when it's converted to actionable insights. I personally would tell you it's a game changer for brand equity and retail growth. We've had others on the show in early episodes talk about the role of data, the future of insights, and how it'll be shaped by scale and speed. So we decided to do a two-part series with Cardlytics, whose vision is to transform marketing with purchase intelligence. They use insights from credit card and banking transactions to help marketers identify, reach, audience, and influence likely buyers at scale, as well as measure the true sales impact of marketing campaigns. This, of course, is episode two of the two-part series. Episode one was recorded early October and is featured late October. Today's episode is with Rose Gia. She's the head of growth marketing in none other than Amazon. And Melissa would know a thing or two about Amazon because that's what she talks about on Bloomberg TV. And she's head of growth marketing for the grocery business. Rose, greetings. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. And I'm super excited to be here. Rose, before we jump into um, our show and we get into the questions, would you please first tell us about where our audience can learn more about you and a brief overview of what your team does at Amazon. Yeah, um, so people can find me on LinkedIn or on rosegia.com. I'm sure you guys will add that into the show notes. Um, but as mentioned, Sri, my team, we own growth marketing. So it is our job to drive profitable growth for the grocery division at Amazon. Um, this really means that we are thinking about how to talk to our customers across their whole decision journey, um, both at stores as well as online. Um, and this includes everything from paid to organic, partnerships, uh, go-to-market, uh, awareness, and so much more. How cool. You know, rosegia.com, of course, we'll include that as well as hyperlinks to the site addresses of our Cardlytics in our episode Digital Liner Notes. So let me jump right in and get to question number one. You know, I looked through your background, Rose. Fascinating. You get out of college, you get into the investment banking community, and then you decide to go to marketing, you found a company, and then you're here at Amazon driving growth marketing, and you talk about profit for what I would say, what I would assume is a very challenging headwind-faced role, of course, with the tailwinds of the equity of Amazon. So 
Can you, for our audience, could you take us through that fascinating journey of how from an investment banker, you got to Amazon as a growth marketer? Um, I have to say that I have a very unconventional background, as you mentioned. I started my career thinking I wanted to do investment banking and be in the finance world. And it was great um, to start with that because it allowed me to really understand how do you think about a business from kind of a P&L perspective. And that is very, very important. But as I was going through that process, I started learning that I wanted to learn more, especially get really in into the weeds of a specific company. And so I went into corporate finance and really learned how do you think about driving growth over the long term. And through that, I started realizing very quickly that marketing and what marketing tries to do is really driving growth because it is about driving that awareness with the customers, getting them to uh, pick our products and services over many, many others. And so I found my calling in marketing and that began my my real journey. And to this day, I am super excited and just love the discipline of marketing. And one of the things that I would say that has been keeping me in the marketing world for so long and that I kind of continue to use is this idea that marketing really is the hub in which you are able to talk to your customers, but also really understand kind of how the business runs. So it is this kind of perfect intersection of kind of customer and business that I love. So, Rose, do you think your background gives you an advantage in your current role and how so? Having spent 10 years at Amazon myself, I can imagine it is amazing to come from a numbers background being so how data-driven Amazon is, but would love to hear your perspective um, coming in. Yeah, I love the fact that I have such a different background because of the fact that I can now pull great ideas from different verticals, really understand how all of the various functions should work together to, to drive growth together. And so because of my background, and, and to be honest, because of my finance background, I have a great rapport with our finance team. And so we often talk about you know investments into the future, and it becomes an easier dialogue and something that I've noticed um, a lot of marketers sometimes struggle with when they are unable to connect the dots between what they're you know, internal partners need to understand and what marketing is trying to drive. So I think having this unconventional background gives me kind of a one up um, in terms of having that great dialogue with my partner teams. Um, but I would also say just like having come from a variety of different verticals, like I was in financial institutions, then I went to entertainment, and now I'm in the retail grocery space. All of that has also really helped. Um, it's allowed me to really move great ideas from different verticals into the grocery space. And I think that's something that is very valuable um, across the board. I'm going to go back to the COVID, the early COVID era in October 2020. You found the Renaissance marketer. And if I looked at what the objectives and the purpose of the Renaissance marketer are, you have a clear definition that it says it's a new type of marketing leader that focuses on long-term growth, which is really brand equity, I guess, at the end of the day, and that marketing leaders should evolve from single purpose, which is brand, with cost-based activities to a multidisciplined leader. And so take us to that fascinating journey. Why October 2020? If you would dare to start up this sort of a venture midway, like literally we're talking midway through COVID, and then define the word renaissance marketer and how you live that purpose every day as well. Man, I, to be honest, I have been thinking about this 
idea for many, many years. And part of it, and I'll be completely frank, is because of my personal background. I, when I first started in the marketing world, the first thing that I was fearful of was the fact that I didn't have a traditional marketing background. Because I came from finance, because, and in college, I was a history poli sci major. So nowhere in there was anything related to marketing. I had a fear that because of this, I wasn't going to be a very good marketer. But what I realized was actually all of that was able to help me think outside the marketing box. And I was able to start connecting real dots across multitudes of not only like pulling disciplines, but also being, as I mentioned before, talking to partner teams in a different way. So I realized as I was kind of going through this journey, I started meeting really awesome marketers who had similar unconventional backgrounds. And that started making me think that perhaps the way that we define marketing and what we're telling marketers marketers currently about what they need to be a great marketer is, is not the most accurate thing. And so I started on this journey. I created renaissancemarketer.com in the midst of COVID because I was realizing, you know, COVID time, things are very wild and very different. Innovation is going to change, but I believe in the foundations. So just to kind of give everybody a, a quick sense. So the Renaissance marketer um, piece is really about a mindset. So it's, it's not necessarily specific skills. It's about how you think about what you do as a marketer. And so the way I define Renaissance marketer mindset is in three parts. Um, and Sri, you already mentioned many of them. The first is you should be multidisciplined. Because of the fact of being multidisciplined, you are able to then pull great ideas from things like psychology, history, other ver verticals to really bring into marketing as innovation. And it also allows you to think outside the box and be able to communicate with your partner. So you are able to understand how do you talk to finance? How do you talk to data teams, product teams, legal teams? And how do you get them all to help you really drive growth for the company? The second piece is really around this idea of long-term thinking investment. And it's actually more than just brand. When we think about long-term investments, it should be everything related to driving growth for the company. And so it means understanding when does brand come into play? When does conversion come into play? When does, when to use data and, and more to really help you build a lot of your ideas and your strategies. And the third part is really about balancing the art and the science of marketing. I've oftentimes seen marketers skew one way or the other. You're either super creative, but none of your creative ideas can be tied back to top line revenues, or you're super data-driven to a point where you're letting data tell you what to do, but you don't understand the underlying reasons. So being a having a renaissance marketer mindset means you balance the two because it becomes very, very important to still have the art of marketing, but also have the science, the data, the infrastructure to back up what you're doing. You know, one of the things, Rose, I've always felt very strongly about in the world of marketing is, you know, prior to the digital era arriving, which arguably is a decade long now, but again, with COVID, one of the major changes that I, I look forward to marketers bringing to bear is the connection between driving the equity remotely, which used to be TV, print, even in-store, and getting it to the moment of the conversion. What digital has allowed a marketer to do is own the funnel end-to-end, -end, as opposed to just one half of the funnel, the upper end, which is really the impressions and driving knowledge at scale about brand and driving equity. I think in today's world, the renaissance marketer is one who can own the end-to-end -end and get the brand to the end zone, which is getting it in the basket through the actual checkout lane, online or offline. Melissa? 
Yeah, I love that idea and that concept. So Rose, are there certain gaps or common biases that you think hold a hold marketers back from making a bigger impact? Yes, absolutely. I think the perception of marketing, at least in the recent years, have been very narrow. It's 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 oftentimes been equated with being very focused on either the brand or specific campaigns, but it's narrowed the lanes in which marketers can kind of um, run through. And what I think the gap is, and, and also the opportunity area, is for marketers to kind of go back to what it used to be. Um, and the reason I use the word renaissance was actually because of, you know, there was a time period called the renaissance period in which every person was really thinking about multiple disciplines, right? They weren't just a philosopher. They were a philosopher, an artist, an architect, an inventor, a politician, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel the same about marketers these days is that instead of being narrowed and kind of pigeonholed into you only run campaigns, you only run brand things, you only do conversion performance marketing, instead to really open up the aperture and really think about what you can actually impact. So if the goal is to drive growth for your business, then there are many ways to driving growth and you're going to be able to use your marketing capabilities to do that. So that means connecting brand, but also connecting data and also working with product and building new pieces. And then, you know, how do you talk about those things? So I think the, the gap and the opportunity is the same, which is we need to give marketers more, um, more opportunities to explore more than just their actual function and to really do what we really call integrated marketing, right? You're bringing together all of the different pieces to bring value to the customer and therefore growth for the business. You know, Rose, keeping that in mind, I'm going to go a little off script here. And again, looking at your background, I think it'll be unfair to our audience if I didn't ask you what was whisking me up and and uh, what was unique? What was the unique offering of Whiskey Mia? Why did you, you, I think you left American Express and went over there and started started the experiential agency. When I hear the word experiential, I always get excited. A little ahead of its time, part of, the, part of the ecosystem today. But tell us more about what was Whiskey Mia, why that name, what made it unique, and then I'll turn it over to Melissa for what would have been question five. Uh I'm so glad you bring it up. It's, some, it's one of those, I'm super proud about it, but sometimes I don't talk about it as often. But one of the, one of the things that I've always, that has always driven me is I love solving customer problems um, in new and innovative solutions and in new and in innovative ways. And I started whisking me up because I saw an, again, a gap slash opportunity where every single person I talked to who liked whiskey were either men or older men. Um, and every time I talked to uh, females, millennials, like the younger demographics, nobody was really interested. And I was really confused by this because I love whiskey. And part of it is because there are thousands of different varieties of whiskeys that you can try. So anything your taste buds want, there is a version of it for you within the whiskey world. It's kind of like wine, but it's different, right? But yet, you know, wine was able to captivate and capture so many of the female and millennial demographic, but not whiskey. And so I kind of went out there and decided I need to change this because I think the whiskey world just has a bad rep and they really did a really good job 
cornering the market on males, but they're because of that, they're unable to expand past that and get to the female and millennial demographic. And so I started Whiskey Me Up as a way to help uh, a lot of these whiskey brands and distributors be able to talk to their customers in a brand new way. And the way that I designed it was to make it less about the whiskey and more about the person. So I had, I created this, um, very simple quiz, very buzzfeedy of like, what type of whiskey persona are you? Um, and it's really based on your character traits, but the end goal is it'll match back to a whiskey that we know you're going to love based on your personality. But the reality of it, it was, it was just an open dialogue that we started with women and with millennials who found this concept interesting and allowed a way for these whiskey brands to, to basically start that dialogue. And through the experiential where we created these very unique, um, events just for these personas where personas got to meet each other, they got to play lay out their personas um, and, you know, and, and at the same time, really enjoyed the, the, the whiskeys and the, the background and the backstory. What we saw was an increase in engagement and as a result, sales from the demographic that they were missing. And if Rose Gia took that questionnaire now, which whiskey would be recommended for her? Well, so <laughs> I was my very first user, and so I tested it on myself um, and I came out to be a vixen. And so the um, whiskeys meant for a vixen include Lagavulin 16, which is actually one of my favorite whiskeys. Uh, it is, it's got that boldness, um, but it's also very beautiful. And as the more you drink it, the the softer it gets. Um, and it's just, it's just a beautiful whiskey. And a reminder for our audience, this episode, we're here with Rose Gia, head of growth marketing for Amazon Grocery. And this is part two of the two-part series with Cardlytics. My gosh, Melissa, who would have thought we're going to have a conversation here on whiskey? So the next question I want to ask you, but I'll turn it over to Melissa, would have been whether it's Highland, whether it's blended, but... I feel like we need to invite you to a holiday party now and talk about whiskeys. That's that's going to be after this podcast. Um, Absolutely. All right, so the, <laughs> the next question, the next question we want to ask you is about shopper marketing and shopper behavior. This has changed dramatically in the past year and a half. What challenges do you face in better understanding and incentivizing shoppers? I think the biggest challenge is trying to figure out what is going to be a long lasting behavioral shift versus something that is short term and reactionary. I think we're still trying to figure that out. Um, you know, there are all those stats that says like after you do something habitually for what, 21 days, that becomes your habit. Um, but with things like, you know, specifically grocery shopping, it is something that for many generations and years, you people shopped a certain way for groceries and then, you know, COVID hit and it was all about leveraging online. And the question is, is that behavior going to continue or do we move more into a hybrid behavior or is there going to be kind of a returning back to quote unquote normal? So that for me is, I think the biggest challenge to understanding shopping, a shopper behavior in the future is just how much, uh, how, how much of what has happened is going to be long lasting. Fascinating. There's no debate that in the last, I think, 18 months of shopper behavior, which have really morphed versus 18, like March 17, 2020. And at the time of this recording, October 29, 2021 behavior, I can't say looks nothing like the same, but there's no more than a 50% overlap anymore. 
So I'm going to now start getting into data insights. You referred to it already. So I imagine in the world that you are working in every single day as a growth marketer for um, Amazon Grocery. Yeah, you use hundreds of partners or plenty of partners and vendors in the journey. You've spoken about your approach of choosing partners to go deep with, uh, similar to making investments in the financial world right at the beginning of this podcast when we got an introduction to you. Can you take a minute to kind of tell our audience about your philosophy about that and then perhaps even highlight a little bit about what do you see in the solution provider space with that context or the gaps that you see and um, who can meet, who, who's meeting your needs today? Just name one or two. So I think, as you mentioned before, I think about everything in terms of investments. And the reason I do that is because one, we have very finite time and resources. So if we don't think like, uh, you know, we're investing in, in these people and these platforms, we're going to end up not having enough time and not having enough resources to, to get things done. And because my team and the way I think about things is it's always, it's always about driving growth. The, in order to drive growth, you really have to leverage all of your resources to the max. And that includes partners. And so when I think about, you know, who do I want to invest in from a partner perspective, it really go, boils down to a couple of things. And I would say one, it's can this partner, right? I'm thinking about any vendors as a partner, including if I'm spending media dollars with them, if I'm leveraging their uh, data capabilities or marketing capabilities, for me, that that's still a partner. And so for, so the question I, the, the things that I have to figure out is if I'm going to invest my money and my energy into building this relationship with this partner, what am I going to get in addition to that? That's really going to be a multiplier effect for growth. And in this case, especially with partners, I really think about one, can they provide the strategic thought that I need as a partner, right? The reason I'm using the word term partner is because of the fact that I expect them to be a partner, a thought partner, a strategic partner, not just uh, somebody that we're running advertising with. Um, the second thing I want to think about is, can they be essentially an extension of my team, right? When we're driving growth, we're, we tend to move very, very fast. And the reason we kind of move fast is typically because we're a smaller team. We're moving fast. We're making decisions. And so oftentimes in order for us to scale, we need more people. And these partners not only provide thought leadership, but they can also provide basically a lot of people support. And so I look for these two pieces when I'm thinking about kind of great partnerships. And one of the, the best partners I've had so far has been Carlytics. They help us not only really understand, and, and, and of course, most uh, the third thing I would say actually um, in terms of partnership is they have to have a great operational excellence. So that's table stakes. Like if they can't execute on what you are asking them to do, then no amount of great thought leadership is going to help. So they have to have that kind of baseline thought of uh, operational excellence. But that being said, Carlytics has been a great partner. They have been able to not only deliver on what they promised us, but they have provided so much more thought leadership, really, especially during the pandemic when we were trying to figure out what was going to be happening, right? Because I have to plan for the future. And so oftentimes I'm thinking about how am I investing? What is it going to look like in the next couple of months, quarters, even a year or two? And so they've been tremendous in helping us not only understand like what is happening today, 
but also what we might expect in the coming months. And so we did daily briefings, weekly reports, there was trend lines. It was at a certain point, we had so much data that we were, we were trying to call through like what was going to be most valuable, making it really quick decisions. But that for me is a truly great partnership because if a partner can anticipate what it is that I'm going to need, then that's going to help me solve a lot more problems uh, in the future. You know, we were going to ask you what a best-in-class partnerships looks like, but I think you just answered that. I want to go back to what you said about one partner that you kind of highlighted to, which is Cardlytics, right? So you mentioned they bought to you thought leadership and ran the marathon, the journey with you, right? Specifically from a service perspective, what was Card Cardlytics delivering for you? We leverage them to be able to customers who use credit cards and debit cards um, by giving them an offer to uh, shop at Amazon Fresh uh, online or in store. And so that capability, that ability for us to be able to um, talk to customers who are already shopping in the general grocery space, but then really getting them to one, be aware of Amazon Fresh, and then two, to really go into the stores or online and shop was really critical for us. That ability to target and most marketers will tell you that is always kind of the bread and butter of what we're trying to do is the better we can target, the better we can explain our value directly, and then the better we're going to be able to see that conversion down the line. And then, Rose, as you partnered with Cardlytics, you know, how was that experience? Was it a one-month experience, three-month experience to go from solutioning to the actual solution, or are you still in the middle of it today? Oh, we've been working with Carlytics for years, and I would say the initial setup probably took uh, a month or two of just talking strategics and then really enabling the platform. But since that kind of initial onboarding, it's we work with them on a quarterly basis, but to be honest, we are literally on calls every other week. So it, it, it really has been years of partnership that feels almost like they are an extension of my team. And one of the questions I always ask every single guest that comes here is, you know, all the roles and hats that we wear, we get measured for outcomes. And so how is that partnership on developing metrics that you could benchmark the effectiveness of their results? Were they able to share metrics with you? Carletics provides a lot of great metrics to, to help us understand the value of what they bring, including incrementality tests that they do with a third party to keep everything very neutral. Uh, but on top of that, we uh, internally also build our own metrics and ability to kind of look at how we're investing across all of the different channels that we're in, in which Carletics is just one. Um, and so we have our own ways of kind of measuring everything. And at the end of the day, the way that we leverage Carlytics really is at that kind of closer to the conversion part of a customer's journey, right? They're about to go shop. We want to be able to reach them at the moment where they're they're thinking about shopping for grocery. Uh, whereas uh, in some of our other channels, we're really focused on that beginning part of that journey when people are still trying to discover if they're thinking about food, if they're thinking about this landscape, kind of what are the right brands to use. So we use them for different reasons. Melissa, I'll turn it over to you, see if you have any closing questions here. Um, what's my favorite whiskey? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I take the test out. and I'll find out. <laughs> yeah, boom, boom, Melissa, you got to take the test. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna take the test. Where can I find this test? Maybe you can tell the listeners. Yeah, I mean, if people are interested, you can go to whiskeymeup.com um, and you can take the test right there. And actually, I I will add one piece. And I came up with the name Whiskey Me Up because I was sitting at a whiskey bar and um, and I realized everybody around me one were were men. And I remember here remembering a movie where somebody was like beer me, and that was like a very like masculine but like very quick you know kind of um, uh, a saying. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I should say whiskey me. But then I was like, that feels slightly weird. So I was like, what if I say whiskey me up? I was like, it feels a little bit like cooler, and and uh, and so that's kind of how I came up with the name whiskey me up. You know, that's the way brand names, the best brand names are born. It's it's a lot of personal good feeling, what I call intuition. And they happen at the spur of the moment with spontaneous thinking without going in 10 different directions. Melissa, is, the good, is it a good time for me to ask you how Backview was born? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> you really want to know the real story? Then I'll tell you CPG guys as well. There aren't many six-letter uh, words out there. And actually, my co-founder had picked that name years before we even created PacView. And it stands for Pacific and View because we span the Pacific. And um, that was kind of off to the races on the name. Like I said, spontaneity and good good internal intuition. And the, the way CPG guys was born, which you've never revealed, we'll do it here today. Thanks to Whiskey Me Up. Revel- the reveal of Whiskey Me Up's name happening today is pretty straightforward. Peter and I have been in the CPG industry 25 years each. We met first job at I and I way back in 1996, like graduating class from colleges coming in, and we happened to identify as guys, and that was it. CPG guys, that's as easy as it gets. People ask us all the time, why CPG guys? Why not something else? That's as easy as it gets. Anybody's interested in learning how to um, basically develop and hire renaissance marketers or people with that mindset please visit renaissancemarketer.com we're also going to be developing a suite of not only tools but educational products to really help marketers be able to have that conversation with partner teams like finance data um product uh legal and more think of it as like cheat sheets for like kind of the vocabulary that you need to have in order to get those partners to buy into the marketing concepts that you're trying to uh, evangelize and for marketers listening to this program, which we have tons of as our audience, if you want to be a Renaissance marketer, what can get easier than typing renaissancemarketer.com on Safari on your phone or Google Chrome on your Android or simply going to your PC and finding a browser and typing renaissancemarketer.com. We'll include renaissancemarketer.com. Thank you for talking to us about Cardlytics. We'll include cardlytics.com. Both of those, including Rose's profile, will be on our digital liner notes off the podcast. What I want to remind our audience is that join this growing family of being part of the transformation in the industry, actually having the conversations with great people like Rose, great people like Melissa, and how you can do that, simply go to cpgguys.com or go to linkedin.com, hit the blue plus follow button, and you can be part of this conversation. Another, another one I'd ask you for is, Rate us. Tell us what you think about this show, whether we have the right cast. Choose who comes on this podcast. The easy way to do that. Rate this podcast.com. Again, rate this podcast.com slash CPG guys, which is what our name. And we did the big reveal of how the name was founded today. Rose, I can't thank you enough for sharing your 
career background for talking to us bravely about Whiskey Me Up, which I thoroughly enjoyed, your partnership with Cardlytics and why you chose them and the top leadership that they bring. So thank you for joining us and also telling us about Renaissance Market. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Melissa, as always, pleasure. This is the second time I've got to host one of these episodes with you other than just our fresh four on Sunday. So it's been a pleasure co-hosting with you. Likewise. And folks, that's it for this episode of the CPG Guys. We will see you soon in another episode. Until then, au revoir. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.